Tell your story, build your brand. ArtMediaNorthwest.com. A-R-T-M-E-D-I-A-N-W.com. Now, enjoy this conversation with Trin Youngman. So, just, uh, I like to introduce the animals that are on the podcast, too, just <laughs> that way people can get to know them a little. Get them credits. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, thank you, Trin, for uh, being on the podcast. Of course. And uh, congratulations on your new album. Thank you very much. The Jack Maybe Project. And what's the name of this one? It's called Weary Bones and Witchcraft. Um, and just like my last album, uh, Old Man Mountain, Other Cautionary Tale, which only had one cautionary tale, uh, this really only has one song that's really about any of the, any of the title stuff. And I kind of, I don't know, it's kind of an inside joke to myself, I suppose. Right. But I mean, there are themes that overlie in the, uh, in the album. I just don't make the title about it, I guess. I think that's cool. People can kind of look into it in their own way, which I think is important. Yeah. I don't like to, uh, I don't usually like to explain what my songs are about for the most part, because it kind of ruins what it might mean to somebody already. Like I remember somebody was, I forget exactly what the song was but i had this idea what the song was in my head somebody explained what the artist said it was about and i was like well i don't like the song anymore <laughs> so yeah that's a good example <laughs> so in the early years uh where did you grow up and can you share one or two stories from your childhood um i kind of grew up everywhere i was a military baby and uh born in germany we lived in italy before i could really remember anything uh, we moved to the States, to West Virginia, and then my parents moved to Portland for a spell before my mom and I moved down to Texas, uh, and then I lived in Louisiana for like a month before I said, no thank you, and moved up to, uh, up here to Hillsboro. Uh, it wasn't like the cool part of Louisiana, like New Orleans or anything. We lived out in the bayou. Okay. In the swamps. <laughs> I remember yeah. just getting eaten live by mosquitoes. Um... I had a very bad first day. I'm not going to get too much into it because it's dumb. But I had a very bad first day and first impression of uh, of Louisiana, but I, I or just kind of the South in general. But I do I do remember New Orleans and 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 Houston, how awesome they were. I just wish I would have lived there instead. I suppose instead of the Bayou, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with the mosquitoes. Yeah. Um. And when did you start learning music? Started around 11. My dad uh, put me into piano lessons because I had some interest to learn the guitar or the bass or one of the string instruments, but my dad wanted to see if I was uh, serious about it, I suppose. So he stuck me in the some piano lessons with uh, the teacher from across the street, and I did not do well in these lessons. Uh, I don't remember ever really learning how to read music with a piano teacher which is not a good sign, I think. Like, she would just wait there, and I would just guess at what note I was trying to play. Wow. Until she would be like, yep, that's the one. <laughs> and she wouldn't explicitly say, like, this note means this right here. Every right. time you put, like, I think if she would have just done that, things would have been a lot easier. It would have made sense. But I just watched her fingers, and then I tried to do the same thing. Copy it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So more of a tactile approach. And how long did that last, the piano lessons? Um, maybe a year okay i don't know uh, i don't really have a lot of mem- like memory from back then uh my dad might have a bit more information on it but i think it was maybe a year okay. if it was longer than that i'd be very surprised yeah and then what happened from there 
then I got a blue guitar. Or no, then I started practicing on my dad's bass for a little bit. But every time he would hear me practice, he would like go in his room and practice. And then I'd hear him. And I'd be like, well, I don't want to practice anymore. Uh, <laughs> Your dad's but, good. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah. Uh, that's why he's in my band. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember getting this blue guitar one Christmas or birthday. I think it was Christmas, though. And it didn't have a brand name. And it would go out of tune every 12 seconds. And it was not fun to learn on. Um, but I learned my first two chords, which was G and D. And my dad would teach me a, another chord here or there. Uh, but for the for most part, I learned a lot of it on, on online. Okay. Uh, either like just kind of figuring it out, the chords, or like looking up the chords and looking up chord charts and stuff like that. And so a lot of it, a lot of it was self-taught. And even when I was like about to go to school for music, I at that point knew a good amount of music theory, but didn't have the right terminology or, or like I would call thirds like triangles. Cause they, to me, that's what it kind of looked like. Okay. One, one, three, five was a triangle. And so like I had these weird terminology, like weird terms that would, uh, not be correct in a in <laughs> you sort of coined setting. your own uh phrases for, yeah, exactly. for triads well that way like I, that. at least i knew what i was talking yeah about. yeah <laughs> it's like uh on the friends episode when she was like you know you play guitar or whatever and they're like yeah oh she's like a bear claw yeah a bear claw yeah <laughs> or do you know g <laughs> it's like yeah <laughs> all right um so uh what did you listen to at the time musically when you were starting out? When I first started, I, I think it was just really anything on the radio. I didn't have as much of an attachment to music as I did as I do now. Yeah, I think I was just listening to kind of whatever was on the radio. I didn't have that that strong of a musical attachment. So uh, kind of just whatever was on. And then as I kind of developed, I got more into like metal and rap. Really anything that was angry, I, I had a stronger reaction to than anything else. And then... I kind of chilled out by late high school and listened to the Beatles and hippie music, as people would say. <laughs> that's a it's a funny uh, progression. Yeah, but yeah. I think that's uh, adolescence. I guess is a time for uh, kind of anger and questioning things angst, and all that. Yeah, angst, there was a lot yeah. of uh, emo music as well. Yeah, at some point in that transition. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> How many uh, instruments have you dabbled with? Uh, piano, bass, guitar, mandolin, banjo. And a bit of a uh, fiddle. Okay. So I guess that would be six. And that's just, I mean, piano, fiddle, and mandolin is merely dabbling. Like, yeah, I don't play those for very much at all. But bass, guitar, and banjo, I play pretty seriously. And I play those in different bands around Portland. And also different styles, right? Mm -hmm. You studied classical guitar and conducting and mm -hmm. composition. I, I, I studied uh, classical guitar, uh, and I use and I still do that to kind of keep my chops up, but I also like classical music for the most part. So uh, I am thinking about trying to do some concerts here at some point. Uh, I have a kind of a duo that I might be doing some arrangements and stuff for. Um, but I also do a little bit of jazz, bluegrass, folk, a lot of Americana styles, basically, um, and kind of the American sound, I guess. Uh, I'm trying to expand that recently as far as classical goes and maybe that'll translate a little bit more later but for now it's it's it is where it's at yeah <laughs> um how would you describe your current 
project, the Jack Maybe project? Um, I mean, it kind of stemmed in, it's kind of a continuation of my solo stuff. I played solo since I was like 16, which I think was my first gig at Satyricon, which is a weird place or yeah. was a weird spot, especially because like it, at the time it was mostly for like punk and metal shows. And uh, by 16, I was already doing my hippie folk stuff. And so I would go on stage and look at the crowd of Mohawks and, and studded denim leather or whatever or studded studded denim or studded leather and people were usually good sports about it uh like i remember people pretending to do a hoedown or whatever like right next (laughs) to the stage not really not really like they would get into it but it might not be their cup of tea which was you know the most i could ask of of people who don't listen to my music i guess yeah (laughs) that's actually pretty uh yeah pretty well received actually i would say in that crowd Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what's funny is a lot of times the, the people that I've found that look like they'd be the most scary and the most angry people tend to be really kind of like kind. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, actually, and, and I have a lot of metalhead friends who are the nicest people like, and do enjoy my music as well. Yeah. Uh, but they are very into metal. My, my drummer actually is very much like this. One of the, one of the nicest and will do anything for you. Loves metal. Will like as we're on tour, we'll just blare metal music as we <laughs> as we go down, and I'll, I'll get a headache or something. But uh, <laughs> uh, but is yeah, a great person to be around. Yeah, nice. Um, so what inspired your new album and the Jack Maybe project to begin? Um, well, like I said, just kind of a continuation of my solo stuff. I was kind of okay. looking at like what was next at one point and how much I can do on my own, really. Uh, my first album, which you can't really, like I didn't really put, like you can find it on Bandcamp and that's about it. Um, my first album, it was mostly me and then I brought a violinist, a drummer, and uh, a couple people for vocals, but that's, but I played bass, I played banjo, I played uh, the guitar, I wrote the songs. And without very much insight from others, or contribution from others, it seemed at least to me a little stale. Okay. So I was trying to figure out what the next step to not make it the same like that was. I mean, a lot of it, I think, also is just learning what I'm doing in the studio and yeah. learning what the songs need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, so I think a lot of it is also my development personally, but I, I did kind of yearn for something. And then I, I was in a band called King Columbia, and that was exactly what I wanted, was just people to help write, people to help bounce off ideas, uh, people to input their musical language and, and uh, virtuosity in there. And then King, after King Columbia broke up, that just seems kind of like the next step is to kind of focus on my band. How many, how many people are currently in your live band? Um, it can get up to nine at this point. Um, wow. <laughs> we have, uh, our normal, uh, Kind of the core members are myself, uh, my drummer, Dennis Aish, my banjo player, Will St. John, my singer, Bree Sawyers, and my father for bass. Um, and then I have, and oh, uh, Brooke is usually my clarinet player. And then I have a few people kind of in rotation for trombone and, uh, and trumpet. Um, I, I had a, a trumpet player 
who I, who I normally ask, but they've gotten very busy recently. And so I've, I've been kind of using different trumpet players okay. uh, now and, and, uh, and like my trombone player can't make a couple shows at the end of this month, so I have a different trombone player coming in. Uh, so I'm, it, it, I kind of also enjoy the change in people as well because it gives it a bit more dynamic. Like if you go see one show and then you see a different show, it's gonna yeah, be yeah, it's different. a different thing. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. What does your writing process look like? Oh, and then sometimes Benny comes in on sax. Oh, okay, plays. sorry. Nice, uh, that's okay. My, my writing uh, process doesn't look very. Like it's not that I don't know. I don't think it's that interesting. Like I'm just sitting in my room and then I like pick up the guitar, play a little bit, put it down, grab my banjo, play a little bit, sing a line, try and see if that fits anywhere, see it con- conceptually think if that means anything. And then I'll like turn to my computer and just like do something completely different because I can't sit on a subject for that long without changing. Um like your brain likes to do like 10 minute to 15 minute sets of like all right, now let's switch gears. Let's switch gears. Let's switch gears. Okay. Um, and so, like, I'll do something completely different. When I get back to it, I've either completely forgotten what I was originally doing, or if I remember it, then I know that, hey, maybe that's something I can hold on to. Uh, and then I try to fit more stuff, and I kind of just build from there. Do you play it enough times to where you remember it, or do you record, like, that whole, you know, creative process? Hmm. It's it's looked different. Uh, my song "Whiskey Song," which is on my last album, not this new one, uh, that came out of uh, a weird week where I just recorded everything I ever did in a week, and it was on my Korg D Triple Eight, and I just had it recording the entire time. And like there was one point I, I like drank too much whiskey in my studio apartment. And was just like singing, uh, take a shot of whiskey. And like at the top of my lungs, probably neighbors hated me. (laughs) And uh, I kind of took that melody, added to it, hated the song at first, so I never played it. Uh, But I would keep coming back to it and adding something. So like a song, but like the uh, a song can take forever for me to write. But the last album, I wrote most of those songs in under a month. Oh, wow. Um, of ri- of just constantly writing, but it, I think it's also because I stored so much and I didn't write for so long between albums, uh, and I had so much inspiration to draw from and so much uh, pent up energy. It was kind of like as soon as I started, it just all it just came, came flooding out. out. Yeah, um, and then it was hard to close back up because like <laughs> I wanted to focus on these set these songs, and I think there were like two or three that were cut from the album as well. But I wanted to work on these songs and focus on these songs, and then, but I kept wanting to write more. Just wow! So you just really tapped into that creative well. Yeah, I mean, part of it's just isolating yourself, <laughs> and then you can do it. It's easier. Yeah. So I think I know the answer to this, but do you prefer original or cover bands? Uh, I yeah, you probably do. It's original <laughs> bands. Yeah. Um, but it's not because like, I mean, if I see a good cover band, I'm gonna I'm, I'll. I'll I'd, I would enjoy myself quite a bit. Um, it's just that like a lot of new music is just rehashed stuff anyway. So I'm gonna and but they're doing it. They're doing a twist, their own twist. They're doing something different. They're doing because like a lot of musical ideas. You know, we only have what twelve major and minor chords, uh, and there's only so many like pop in pop music, and there's only so many ways you can put that together. Right. So. A lot of ideas are rehashed anyway, but 
I like to see the new spins that are on the on the on the on these ideas. It is amazing what you can do with a few chords and yeah. some different rhythms. And yeah, my students, I teach them G, C, and D first. I'm like, all right, now you know like half country songs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did the places, I guess, and time that you grew up have an impact on how you learned? I mean, I'm de- I'm definitely sure they did. I I'm just in it, so it's hard to like say how. Um, and I, you know, I still consider myself a student. I'm getting my master's currently, so I'm still learning, I guess. Uh, time, though. No, yeah, I just this 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 is a very hard question. Sure. Um, I mean, you can look back. You can like look at kind of the history books or look back and be like, oh, you know, when Bob Dylan was like uh, doing his thing, I would have been great back then doing my thing at the same time. But like. Would you have been? Because it costs a lot of. Because back then it costs a lot of money. There's a lot of more barriers in your way. Um, there's like, there's only so much of the public attention that was on certain people. Like it was all funneled to certain people. Whereas now you can look up anything. Yeah. And there's so many, so many, so many different uh, types of media vying for your attention. It's kind of hard to. To say, like, would it be easier? I don't think it would have, but you can look back and maybe dream. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a mixed blessing, too, because there is so much content out there. Like, anybody can get lost in the weeds or they can, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But in that same aspect, like, finding your niche. Uh, I mean, trying to find where your niche is, I think, is hard enough. Like, I still haven't really found mine, aside from, like, my friends in Portland. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but finding, like... I have I actually had somebody in Britain email me the other day saying that she loved my music and was like asking if I, she could put one of my songs in a short film of hers that she was making. And I was like, definitely uh, tell your friends. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah. Like, yeah, you can get into the weeds so thick, visit other countries and their cultures and the music. It's it it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what mentors did you have along the way that uh, come to mind that? I mean, you know, I, I get inspired by lots of people and things. But as far as people, mentors specifically to my music, I suppose, my first would definitely be my father. He's a musician himself in bands, gigged a lot when I was younger. Uh, and then my young peers uh, were another motivation for me. Uh, I remember vividly being the second best guitarist at my school <laughs> not the best was it austin was, randall it was austin randall <laughs> and he is still a great guitar player i bet he is yeah <laughs> but he, he I, went to I, a john petrucci camp last summer oh did he yeah like hanging out with them in like a mansion for a week <laughs> with a bunch of other crazy guitar players like that i haven't seen or talked to him in years upon years probably more than a decade at this point but yeah i just remember Always being like, I can get better. I can get better because he was around. <laughs> yeah. And actually, when I was out of school, it was harder for me to like find that motivation again. Yeah. Uh, because well, also because we were very different styles, I think I would have lost motivation anyway. Because sure, he's more into kind of the shredding, right. uh, virtuosic uh, type of playing, and I'm more into the uh, compositional and harmonic type of playing. Yeah. Yeah. His dad would give him a hundred bucks if he learned a Metallica song. That's how he, 
he got the way he was. My dad offered that with a Rage Against the Machine song. Did he? He never followed up on that. <laughs> you should hit him up. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right. In your opinion, what are some of the best ways someone can learn the skills that you've cultivated? Uh, the best way would probably be to find a, a great tutor and just pay that tutor who kind of knows every aspect of it, if you can, or a set of tutors. No, no, like there's not really a need if you're if you're looking to be a performer specifically and not a teacher, then you don't need to go to school. I would say, um, you just need to, but you do still need to know your stuff. So if school is the only way you can find this information out, go to school. But if you can find somebody who can teach you these, like teach you music theory, teach you music history, teach you how to perform, what the protocols are for whatever type of performance you're gonna do. And then teach you the business side as well. The business is huge. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you can find one person or a set of people to teach you all these things, I would 100% say pay them directly and don't go to school for right. it. Right. Yeah. Uh, but if you're looking to be a teacher, you know, they require degrees and certificates. So you have, you have to do that. Yeah. Um, how should people find their passion or start their creative life? I have no idea. Um, okay. How... I mean, I've always, to my memory, I don't really remember too much before and how I felt about things. Uh, but to my memory, I've played guitar mo like my entire life for the most part. I've had this passion. Yeah. If I didn't have this passion, I have no idea what I would be doing. Uh, one of the things I like to ask my students when they ask uh, or when they were talking about living a musical life or being an artist or a creative of some sort is could you be happy doing anything else in your life and if the answer is yes you should probably do that thing because the artist's life is way harder like a yeah. million times harder because you I have agree. to be a businessman and a creative yeah and you have to learn that early on otherwise you're gonna struggle for a long time and i did not learn that early on Me so either. i struggled for a long time yeah i'm still there man <laughs> but hopefully you're Learning it quicker than I did. I, I hope so as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, how has technology changed music in the creative arts in general? In, I mean, in general, it's taken down uh, barriers. Like, you don't need to have, like, tens of thousands of dollars to make a recording. Or really, even anymore, you don't need thousands of dollars to do a recording. You just need maybe a few hundred bucks and a few hours of the people you're asking to play with you. Um, so barriers are way down, which means port event, like entries are just, you could just, anybody can do it. Right. I mean, you could do it. You can get your own stuff super cheap for like maybe a couple hundred bucks and record yourself, learn how to use all the equipment, learn how to digitize and, uh, MIDI files or, uh, try and figure out how to make these sounds into your, uh, MIDI player or whatever. And you, it, I mean, it's just the amount of. How much time do you also want to spend doing this? Right. So it's lowered the barriers, which I think I think is a good thing, uh, because other than otherwise, you just have the elites, the people who already have the money, uh, or people who are going to loan you money to do it. So that can also be very predatory. Um. However, there is also constant access to it which I think can devalue it in a way. People listen to music all the time, all the time, for free. 
which is great. I like that aspect of it is amazing to me and I think is wonderful. Uh, but then we get paid what 0. 0.07 cents per stream or 0. 0.7 cents per stream, depending on what you're using. And that's like financially unstable for the artist for the most part. Yeah. Uh, and then, <laughs> and you know what? I don't even really mind that. Like passive income is passive income. I'm not performing. Sure. Why not? But then to say to an artist, how are you valuable? Or like, please, like, or, or to have to like justify why I'm an artist to anybody right. is a huge problem after, after going through all of that. Yeah. Um, so I think the access can devalue it, but I think that overall it's helped more than hurt. Okay. I like that. And then how has technology changed music for you specifically? Makes rehearsals easier. I could just record something real quick and then uh, record it on my phone, send it to all my performers. They can hear it, play with, along with it, kind of have at least an idea of what they're going to want to do. Then we all come to rehearsal with an idea of what we're doing. And then I just be like, no, edit this. I like what you're doing. Uh, change this up. You're, you're, or usually it's like, all right, you're all doing real great. Keep it up. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm with, I have some amazing players that I play with. That's awesome. All right. And then uh, when did music become your business and how has your job changed over the years? That is a good question. I never, re I don't think, I mean, at an early age, I definitely consider it my business. I'm not sure when that transition really started. I think it was probably right after I graduated my undergraduate. Okay. Um, I went into teaching with... Uh, with Ethos Music as part of their kind of urban, or not urban, uh, rural outreach program. And uh, we were sent out and taught in the schools, did after school lessons, and kind of made a program of music where there otherwise wouldn't be, which I think is awesome. Um, but I think it was around then where I was trying to write more songs. That's when I got most of the songs on my first album finalized uh and then i was able to kind of i mean this i was sent out to fossil oregon which is a town of 400 or so a little over 400 and i got i got used to the fossil speed out there which i remember <laughs> just like it took a while but i greatly appreciated just sitting on my on my porch just like watching the sky for a while and i was like this is pretty nice this this life is is pretty good um but it, it, I also took that time to, how am I going to, what am I going to do when I get back? So did Ethos pay you to live there? Yeah. We had uh, the, we didn't have to pay rent because it was covered through Ethos uh, as part of a stipend or something. Okay, I think. sure. And then, um, and then AmeriCorps would pay us a certain amount of money for kind of just another stipend for living out there. And then we would use food stamps or something because we wouldn't get paid very much. But also when you're in Fossil, Oregon, like what are you going to spend money on aside from food? Right. If that's all being paid for and your rent's being paid for, you have the opportunity to save money. I was dumb and didn't, but <laughs> you had the opportunity to. And that's okay. what's important. 
That's that's very interesting. I did not know that that they sent you out to a rural. I thought they were an urban thing. Is that it's both? They, that's they the they urban do both? outreach program. Okay. I taught that for about half a year. Okay. And then uh, it was it was fine, but it wasn't what I wanted to do at the time. Sure. I would take another look at getting back into it. I probably wouldn't teach the same things that I was teaching. Mm. Uh, I, I agreed to teach uh, ukulele, which is fine, but I also teach, agreed to teach drums, and that was not in my wheelhouse at all. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was poor, poor, way poorly out of my league, and there was 30 kids, so I, I didn't know how to do it very well with that many kids all in bucket drums. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from like Simon says almost every time, I was I was not a good drum teacher, but it might have might have gone better better than you thought though, you know. Uh, there were some kids who were paying really close attention, but yeah. I think the vast majority of it was just an, uh, just something they could do after school because sure. it was younger kids too, so yeah. they had a lot of energy. And really, as long as they didn't stop, or like the other kids from learning, and they weren't like too disruptive, I was like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, you know. Well, I think music experience, you know, goes a long way. You know, if somebody can get some sort of music experience, they get this like, oh, I can do this kind of uh, attitude as opposed to not thinking it's something that's out of the realm of possibility for them. Yeah. And we started with super basic rhythms. I was just like, quarter notes, here we go. And they they all seem to get like at least the base structure of it to understand at least a little bit of it. That's good. Yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, is creativity or skill more important as an artist? To me, they're both equally important for, I mean, I think, I think to be an artist, you need both. You need the craft and the art. You need, you need to be, you need the creativity, the art for it to mean something and to connect with people. And you need to, you need the craft uh, or the technique in order to relay your message accurately and what you want it to be like. Cause if you want to relay some, some terrible tragedy and, in and sadness in your life, but you're playing all major chords and singing this weird melt, like happy song, it can be done, but it's like, if you don't have the, the ability to do what you want to do, it's, it, you know, makes it, makes, it makes the art harder to, I don't know, relay your emotion, I suppose. Yeah. No, that's well put. Um, so what are some difficult times that you faced as an artist? Money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in a word. Yeah. In a, in, a, in a single word, money. Um, but it's more than just, I suppose, money. In, in the fact that, like, early on I realized that there are biz- entire businesses created to take advantage of artists. Uh, there's, what were they called back in the day? Big time or something like that music where like, oh, well you have to promise at least 10 people will come or you, or, uh, you, you're going to have to pay right to play here. Yeah. And I, like a fool at one, like at the Satyricon show paid a hundred bucks to play on stage. I, I don't, I still, I, I didn't tell my dad. And I still think he didn't know until maybe now. <laughs> um, but or until he hears this as right right but yeah that was just that was their entire business model yeah was bleed the artist 
and profit from it. And that it was, and then even when you did make their minimum, which they would took, take all the proceeds from, they would take half of your half of the the what you did make from that on. Yeah, which is unethical, I think. But you know, that's that's their system, or that was their system. I think they went under. Thank goodness. But there's more systems like that out there. I think it's a very LA model. Yeah. There was uh there was one that used to do that at the Roseland and you know they would rent the Roseland theater and you know you can get 1500 people in there but basically they'd get like you know 50 bands playing between 8 a.m. and midnight that day or whatever yeah. and you didn't know when you were playing you yeah. were just going to play at the Roseland and you had to sell tickets. I mean, that's looks good on the resume, but right. <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. If it maybe if they provided pictures or something, I don't know. There, there, I think there is a way you can do something like this and have it be worth it for the artist. Right. Uh, have you heard of raw showcase? No. Uh, there, they have an LA system, but if you don't make your quota, you don't pay. Like you're, they're not going to bleed you at mm-hmm. least. Um, but they also offer headshots. They also take pictures of you while you're performing. They also, if you do make the 20, they incentivize you to make the 20 with a, a free raw showcase somewhere, some city of your choosing, which you're probably not going to make any money at, but it's a place to play a big stage with a lot of people in a new place. Yeah. So at something like that, I think that would be the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the big time way or whatever they were called. <laughs> Uh, is not <laughs> it's yeah. an unethical way to do it yeah agree um so what are some difficult times you faced in general like in your personal life if you want to talk about that i mean i i don't think it's anything more than anything else has gone through as as far as like we've all experienced heartbreak or betrayal in some aspects but so i mean we i think and a lot of my songs are about this of just like the trial of being alive is kind of like the biggest trial of all. And, you know, it, it's comes with, with pain and, and beauty at the same time. So, uh, it, nothing, nothing outstanding, I would say. Okay. It is hard to enjoy the really good things if you haven't experienced some of the really bad things. Yeah. Yeah. So put things in perspective. Yeah, definitely. Um, how have you learned to overcome adversity? Um, just through sheer willpower, I suppose. Rejection is hard. And especially when you're an artist, you have to deal with it a lot. And you kind of become numb <laughs> to, to it at some point. Not numb. I just, like It still hurts. It still sucks to have somebody... Say, oh, that's not. I don't. I don't like that. I don't like what you're doing on stage or anything like that. But, but also knowing that there is a community out there that does like it. Yeah. And there is, like, people. I. I. My latest album has been listened to in many different countries now, uh, through Spotify and and iTunes, and so it's 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 just having that as kind of your backup and knowing that. Even if it's not going to like as an artist, living artist uh, and business model, you might fail. But if it's what you want to do, if this is the style that you want to create, um, you're going to be doing it anyway. So, uh, yeah, just kind of 
I don't I don't want to say apathy because that's it's not apathy. It's it's something different. It's something more. But I don't know how to describe it. There's not words. I'm maybe I'll make a song about it. I guess. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, music continues the story when the words fail, right? <laughs> um, how important is music to film and video storytelling? I would say very, but that's not really my expertise. Um, but I think, I think we're a lot more used to, to music being everywhere now. Now that it can be. Yeah, I mean, back in what the the even the even just a hundred years ago, you had to go somewhere to hear any music or play the music yourself. Right. Um, and I think there's something missing with uh, with the ability to hear music at all times. When I'm on the road, I actually prefer not to listen to music. I pre- I listen to the news really, and then my my girlfriend hates it and turns it off. <laughs> um, but when I'm on the open road, I just like to hear the wind or something. Yeah. Uh, I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts instead of music uh, because when I'm playing and teaching and, and learning songs and all that, it's you're just it's nonstop music, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's nice to have some variety. I think. Yeah, I'd like to. I, I was thinking about doing audiobooks for a while, but I drive a lot on like on the road to like gigs, and like usually it's late at night, and I don't want to fall asleep. So sometimes I just have to roll down the window all the way or just like drink a little bit of like soda or tea or something while I'm driving just to make sure that I keep going. I think a story would just knock me out. That's yeah, that's tough. (laughs) That is tough. Driving when you're exhausted is really tough. Um, do you tour a lot regionally? Recently? Yeah. Um, we, we went on tour, uh, last summer for almost a month. And we went as far north as Bellingham and as far south as Medford, and we went to Eastern Oregon. Um, I've been working this rotation now for a little bit, and I've been doing more stuff out in Eastern Oregon. And now now we do, like, weekend tours when, when, when all of us are working and I you know, can't get everybody for a whole week or something like that. My current goal right now is to find a way to tour locally internationally like canada or mexico basically (laughs) okay sure trying to figure out how to get into those markets uh or at least all the way through the states i want to head to nashville i think is the goal nice just further is where is, is my goal for a tour next year in the summer all right and uh how should people develop their art and their vision um, what I think I said, with passion, I, I, I think is a good uh, answer to that. Um, the, it's hard to say how, because I think people just will, if they have the passion, if they have it. Okay. Cause yeah. if they, if I mean, if you're not passionate about it, I mean, first off, why are you doing it? But secondly, like you're not, you're just not gonna, if, if, if you don't want it, People, people. I think people sometimes want to be a musician without any steps in between. <laughs> right. They're just like because well, I see that with students sometimes. Yeah, you know, when when Guitar Hero came out, it was just like, okay, I, teach me all the songs on Guitar yeah, Hero. It's can like you teach okay. me Jimi Hendrix. Right. <laughs> well, you haven't had a single lesson or picked up a guitar a single time until now. So no, not yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just the, there's a whole like, if you're passionate enough, you will get to a place where you where you want to be 
Um, it, it, well, it may not be what you dreamed of being, but it's, it's likely where you need to be. Okay. Um, because you'll find a way to live off of it. You'll, you'll find out that maybe teaching, you do enjoy teaching, which I do. Yeah. I, I, I want to, I'm, I'm going to try and start getting students and teach Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday soon. Nice. Um, that way that, and that leaves the whole weekend for, for, uh, the weekend and Thursday for playing gigs or whatever I want to, what other other creative outlet I want to do um and I want to like you'll you'll find a way like to to just make it happen um you just have to explore a lot and have the drive to find these outlets and I think that's the hardest part yeah um because you're especially if you go to school for it you're used to all the information just being given to you you used to just you're used to absorbing information from your current surroundings and not having to look at it look look for it at all yeah it's kind of like hunting now like if you sent me hunting i would be awful at it because i don't know how to do that <laughs> i'm used to food just being given to me in exchange for dollars or or, or services or something i don't know yeah <laughs> um but yeah you have to hunt for this information yeah it's true and learning how to do that how to navigate that i think a lot of people don't know what they're up against you know when they're when they're trying to develop their art it's like okay you know like you were saying, you're in school. Uh, for example, music theory. Like I took, you know, three, four years of music theory before I was teaching the guitar very much, mm -hmm. and I wasn't applying it to the guitar. So then, <laughs> you know, when I started teaching more, and I'm like, oh, well, I could just teach them these chord progressions with these numbers, and then they can transpose it easily enough and use a capo easier and. Mm -hmm you know, learn how to get different voicings of these same chords if they just know how to spell the chord and yeah. stuff like that. So, well, I think, yeah, in, it, you were, you were saying that you don't think people know what they're, they're up against. And I think that is, is super true in the fact that like, in, or, for, not just music. I, I only, I'm only talking about music cause that's what I know, but I would say probably in any art, there are a number of factors working against you, like what you're going to price yourself at. Like you're, you're your own worst enemy a lot of the time. Cause you're like, Oh, I just need to get my name out there. So I'm going to do it for free. Right. Or you're, or, or somebody will talk you down from a number that seems reasonable. And now you're in the hole a little bit cause you, it took gas to get out there or something. Um, it's, it, you, you need to find like, you need to have a, a good willpower, to say no to things. And yeah. when you start saying no to things, different opportunities will show up. Like mm -hmm. if you say yes to something for a cheaper rate, what like if teaching could like pay better, just stay home and teach. Right. If, and there's, and, and your knowledge is another, which, which I think is what you were touching on is, is another, another obstacle for you. Cause I think we teach in a very weird way. Like I, I, I was looking into kind of a lot of pedagogical skills and how to teach. And I think kind of a, a more Greek aspect, like ancient Greece of just like having a tutor who will teach you every, like this trade would be the much better way to do it because they don't teach you in sections. Right. They like things overlap. Like there, it was kind of mind blowing for me when like you realize that uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and Anne Frank were both born in the same year. And it's kind of wow. like things overlap that you don't necessarily understand in a way that, I mean, music theory, 
guitar theory, fretboard theory. These are all similar things that can be taught and should be taught in tandem if you want a true understanding of the guitar. Right. Um, or just music in general. Like I'm, I'm trying to right now develop my lessons in a way that they are more than a guitarist when, they, when they're done with me. They're a musician. They're a musician, exactly. Yeah. They speak the language of music. That's awesome. Um, so how well does the system work for people, just as an extension of that, and for musicians? I mean, the deeper you're in it, I think, the more you realize that people are just, everybody's just kind of making it up as they go. Like, there's these weird, like, there's the, like, you, once you're in it, you can kind of see all the different weird aspects. And, like, here's the here's all the, the people trying to take advantage of artists over here. But here's like all the people with actual services for artists over here, and it's hard sometimes hard to distinguish them. But like you can, there's tests you can do. Like, do they keep their promise mm-hmm. uh, ahead of time? Uh, like, can I? And there, there's a bit of risk management to it, mm-hmm. where there was this one company where I, I'm pretty sure it was a scam, uh, but their board of entry was twenty bucks, and they were promising the world. So I was like, all right. Here's 20 bucks. And they're like, oh, but 75 bucks to do to apply to any of these. I'm like, you can just have my 20 bucks. You're good. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm not, not going to keep going down. Yeah, exactly. Road. I yeah. see. I see what it is now. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to let you take a, hun- a full hundred dollars from me. You got 20. You, you earned that 20. You got me on that one. So I'll move on from there. But you also see that there's a lot of middlemen. And as long as you have the time and passion and no like knowledge you can cut them out. You can do your own booking. You can do your own uh, PR. You can do your own emails to press. You can. There's the. There, there's all these things you can do on your own. It's way harder, mm-hmm. and you probably eventually at some point should have somebody to do it. But at the exorbitant prices that they cost normally, uh, for the your average independent artist, it's not worth it. So trying to find a buddy or trying to do it yourself is kind of the only way. Yeah. That's well put. I think it's uh you know bartering can be helpful if you can find somebody to trade services with like that. Uh, if somebody's trying to learn guitar and they know marketing or whatever. Yeah. And they actually care about your project. Yeah. I think that's Yeah, finding finding champions of your music or of your art in general mm-hmm. if you want to kind of make it more general is not not 100% necessary, but it helps a lot. Yeah. Finding people who will stick up for your music or your art somehow. Uh, it also takes a lot of stress off you because you don't have to be the only one in your corner. It does, yeah. yeah. And how well do schools prepare kids for the real world? I haven't been a kid in a long time. <laughs> um, how I, old are you? <laughs> uh, more, more than a kid. Uh, okay. <laughs> um no, I, I'm I'm 31. It's 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 I haven't been a kid in a long time, so I don't know as far as like younger generations how how well they're going to be prepared. I'm hoping more than I was, but I also find at that age you don't take much seriously, and by that point the academic world, like I said, has brought you to just think everything's just going to come toward you, everything's mm-hmm. going to come at you, and you and you'll just be able to make the right decision when you're presented with all the information possible. Uh, but that does, that's not how it works and that's how you get screwed a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about your current projects and where you'd like to focus your energy over the next few years? 
I sure can. <laughs> um, my current project, of course, is the Jack Maybe Project, which I lead and write for and arrange and compose and do all. And really everything that I do musically is under the moniker of the Jack Maybe Project. Okay. Um, like my lessons are under the, that name. Oh, wow. My, uh, I, I try to, I'm trying to make it more of a community. A brand or a community? Yeah. Okay. Brand, yeah. community, like yeah. a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, than, than just the band. There's other aspects of it too. Like I'm going to try and do some music lessons in general with members of my band as well, but open to others as well. And I'm going to be kind of making some sort of community around it where that's, that's the effort I'm going to be putting in anyway. Um, but I'm also into a lot of classical music, I should say. Um, I'm going to be starting a duo with a friend of mine named Brandon Asbill. I haven't, we haven't decided on a name or anything yet, so can't really prepare you. Okay. But, um, stay tuned. Yeah, exactly. But he just won actually this weekend. He got second place on the Northwest guitar festival. Wow. And he's, he's really good and very technical, very virtuosic. Um, uh, he downplays his own playing a lot, but then he goes out and wins second place at Northwest Guitar Fest. So um, he's he's very humble and very funny. Uh, and he's also going to be like I'm going to be composing a few things, or sorry, finishing compositions that I've already started. Uh, and he wants to perform them in his summer concert, is what he was saying. So, how long are the pieces that you've composed? Not very this? long, not for guitar anyway. Um, okay. I've I've composed a few bigger works uh and even then you know i'm not really done with them um but the the guitar pieces are probably un- all under two minutes okay uh but it, it, i'm right now i'm composing a set of studies okay um, etudes or studies or studies studies uh and it's uh not so cleverly or very cleverly named uh <laughs> five studies of the human condition <laughs> um and i i think that's hilarious sorry <laughs> uh and it's they're actually more musical studies than they are uh, technique studies. I have about one or two spots in each study where the teacher should like focus, come in and like make sure that he's doing he or she is doing uh, something specifically correct. But the rest, you're just kind of seeing how they interpret the music more than anything. Okay, I'm I'm trying not to have too much direction put in to leave a lot of room for the performer to interpret meaning not a lot of dynamics and uh tempo and things Correct. like that yeah mm-hmm. okay um is it modern sounding yeah i would say so a lot of a lot of the harmonic language is i mean more modern than romantic at least okay something you would hear maybe in the early 20th century or something like that um yeah it's it's i don't know it's it's my stuff yeah <laughs> Uh, cool. But I'm also in the bands Kiki and the Dowry. I play for Johnny Ampersand, and sometimes uh, Cassie Velaza has me play with her. Um, hasn't for a while, but uh, she and I are good friends. And so, anytime her bass player isn't around, she's like, she asks me, and I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Cool. So um, that's that's a lot of bands. Well, Cassie's band is is uh, like she's got a bass player, and he's 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 done good as well. So I'm I'm only I'm only kind of a fill in for there. Uh, the one that takes up the most time would be probably Kiki and the Dowry, and that's the one I've kind of committed to being in the most as far as uh, uh, bands that I'm just in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Johnny Ampersand, he like he'll just book a gig, we'll do one rehearsal, and we'll play it. So it's not a lot of time. Okay. Um, and he maybe plays a gig every once a month or so. 
if that. So what future plans do you have for your music? Um, meaning, you know, if you look, look out over five to 10 years, what do you think it's going to look like? Well, I, I'm going to do the Jack maybe project for a few years before a kind of an evaluation of sure. where, where it's at and kind of see what I'm going to do from there. Um, so I'm in it for a few more years at the very least. Uh, I'm going to be expanding on my classical music a little bit. Um, in two years, the Northwest Guitar Fest is going to come to Portland, so I might compete in that. Um, composition. I want to have a, a little bit more guitar music done, but there's also, I'm kind of leaning toward a lot of uh, early Baroque style where style in the fact of com composition not in the fact of like harmonic language or melodic language more in the fact that like i'm writing for three treble instruments and a bass instrument okay and you can whatever you want to do as far as the instrumentation goes but that's what i'm like three upper harmony or three upper upper range one lower range or they're sort of like a string quartet but it could be interpreted as yeah, you two, know, two trumpets and <laughs> three flutes and a contrabass. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, okay. whatever, whatever you want to do from there. Uh, but I just want to like write out. Like I, I'm really into the artistry and interpretation of the performer, and so I like to hear pieces that are super different. That's why I don't really enjoy romantic music as far as listening to it because it's the same way every time. Right. Because there's so much dynamics and everything put in by the composer uh -huh. that I think it overshadows what the performer wants to do with it. And so I'm going to be working on that. Okay. That's cool. Um, do you believe that you'll record any of your original classical stuff or have it recorded? I might have it recorded. Okay. Uh, or recorded in a live setting of somebody else playing it. I don't, I'm not sure I would play much of it. I might play some of my guitar stuff and record that, but if I mean, even then I'm thinking I might just have Brandon record it. Like, uh, I'm not, uh, it's I, hard when it's your baby. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to, and I'm not into my own interpretation of my stuff, I guess when it's art music, when it's, when it's uh, on a different level than my, cause in a way it's, it's less personal cause it doesn't have words attached to it. Or I mean, it can, if you want to do sure. classical singing or opera, operatic singing, but when I don't attach words to it, I like to see how it morphs into other people's hands. Okay. And that's kind of my project to myself as far as my art music is. Okay. Nice. Um, what are one or two memorable stories from your music career so far? I mean, playing at the Doug for, for uh, my album release in March was, was pretty memorable. We had a, uh, we all had a, a blast playing and meeting uh the same chase and the untraditional was a lot of fun too they're they're a fun group being on tour was very memorable a lot of inside jokes like if i said a few they people would be like that's not funny but <laughs> if i say it to my band member they, they think it's hilarious um you get real close on the road real real close <laughs> um which is a good and a bad thing uh, it's, it's, and it's never bad in retrospect. It's always bad when you're there and you're just, you've had too much of somebody and you're just like, all right, I just need 
a to little space. go to bed or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and it's never, and I don't I actually don't think it's ever really fun in the moment either. Cause you're all just tired and just trying to do your best. And then once you look back, you're like, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> I missed out at the time, but now looking back, that <laughs> was so I realized, much fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I realized how much fun I was having back then. <laughs> nice. Uh, what are some books or artists or musicians, photographers, any creative people that you would recommend checking out? Sure. My, I mean, I, I live in the, the musical world, so I don't, I don't have as much knowledge about uh, artists um, or, or anything like that as, as much as I do bands or, or solo indie singer songwriter type people. But I, I usually like to keep it local in any case. Yeah. Um, a few artists around are Ariel Castaneda and, uh, the artists that we use for a lot of our, uh, album art, and posters and who do, does most of the Jack maybe projects work. Her name is uh, Maggie Brandt check her out. She's really good. Um, she doesn't do too much, which, which means that we kind of cornered the market on Maggie <laughs> Brandt art. I, I would say, and you know, better for us, but she's really good. And that's why I always have her do our, do our art. I always ask her. Um, but moving to musicians, uh, I mean, my lo- one of my local favorites, Ezra Bell, Maurice and the Sif Sisters, Will St. John and his Old Fashioned Love. I mean, I play in that last one, so maybe okay. I'm a little biased. But, and Will, Will's also my banjo player. But Ezra Bell and Maurice and the Sif Sisters are two bands that I kind of look up to. Um, and they're really good. And then uh, if you're looking for more kind of a country thing, Cassie Velaza and Taylor Kingman, they're kind of the the star players in Portland for that. And they're they're super fun to listen to um like every once in a while i'll play with cassie but i usually just go out and hear her music for the most part that's how i see her most often i suppose okay um and taylor kingman's super good too um can i think of anybody else yeah there's i mean there's plenty of and then there's plenty of solo artists around town that i i listen to joel swenson um benny gilberts if he's ever in town again you know he'll he, he moved up to shayless but he was in king columbia for a while He's one of my favorites. Yeah, there's a bu- I mean, there's a bunch of talent in Portland. Yeah. Very talented town, for sure. Um, if you could give 14-year-old Trin some advice, what would it be? Uh, to stop waiting for something to happen. You just have to go and do a thing. Like, it's It's weird when you finally figure out that there's nothing really stopping you from doing what you want to do as far as, like, art goes... Like I want to make an album. Okay, then make go an make an album. Go do that thing that you want to do. <laughs> that is really great. I like, I like that. Yeah, how you it's, put that? It's, I mean, you're you're the only thing stopping you. Like, and that comes that comes right back to people want to be done. People want to be like finished before they've even started. Yeah, and I'm I get I get the same way, and I I totally get it. I want to be done as soon as I start something, <laughs> usually, but. uh it, I mean, it's just a matter of, are you going to be able to, are, do you have the, I mean, the biggest factor, do you have the time to do it? Like you, you've committed to a bunch of other things. Do you have the time to do it? And then secondly, are you gonna, 
Yeah. Those are the two things that are like stopping you from doing whatever, whatever art thing you want to do. So that was good. I like how you put that. How important do you feel like music and the arts are to society? I mean, I think, I think they're very, I mean, clearly I think they're very important. I'm an, I'm an artist myself, but, uh, I think they're undervalued by most people though. They don't realize how much art has an effect on them. How do musicians and creative artists keep from being obscure or obsolete? That's a tough question. Um, I mean, I have no idea, to be honest, but I know that music and art themselves don't go obsolete. So it clearly has nothing to do with the subject matter. Right. Um, it is the artist itself. I mean, and it's hard to to know exactly what what makes somebody irrelevant, I suppose. But I think I would say as long as you are true in whatever that means to you and you're trying to do things that you know and you're not just speculating, as, lo- as long as your art is, what's the word I'm looking for? As long as your art is, has uh, integrity okay, in its own aspect. Because you know a lot of a lot of art is lying on purpose, so. But whatever integrity is behind that lie, you know. Yeah. In some aspect. And I guess in that question, like that's a good answer, uh, absolutely. But I think, I don't mean the person is you know, not, doesn't have value or whatever. But the, their brand is not growing. You know, their mm-hmm. them as an artist is not uh, getting any you know enough resources to be able to continue their art inspiration works wonders i think sometimes um and a lot of the time especially in a more digital society we tend to get stuck in a rut and i am more (laughs) i i i I get stuck in a rut all the time more more than i would really like to say but i get stuck in it too and it's hard to make anything meaningful when you're in that rut. And it's hard to grow as an artist when you're in that rut. And it's hard to figure out how to get out of that rut. And as far as a good answer goes, what works for me, I'm not going to say this is like the, this is what you need to do. I don't think I would ever (laughs) say that in any real context whatsoever. This is what you need to do. No. What works for me is doing something I normally wouldn't do or being alone outside of my room, outside of the house somewhere, even if it's just at a bar drinking whiskey by myself, like even that can lead to some sort of inspiration, whether or not it has anything to do with art is aside the point, but eventually in some way that inspiration will lead to the art. It may not be direct, but doing things that you wouldn't do new experiences and having novel ideas at least to you, is probably the best way to get out of a rut and to grow as an artist. Should musicians and creative artists just go for it or get a stable job and do their art on the side? Yeah, I like the way you put this question because uh, <laughs> I I would the way I'm trying to do it is to like I'm not just going for it, but you know. I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to have a stable job. It's more, I have, I'm doing art and I have a side job 
because uh, I don't think I like I'm not gonna work. I think I think personally for me, and I know for quite a few others, they like working forty hours a week kills any creativity they have. Just gone immediately as soon as you get home from the from like a ten hour workday or an eight to ten hour workday, you have no energy strength because you need energy to be creative. Uh, and you just all you want to do is turn off because you've been working at the same thing all day. And I am trying my best never to have to do that. <laughs> Someday I might, and I might eat these words and feel real <laughs> sad. But for now, I am trying my best. Not to do something like that. That's why I want to teach. Because if I teach uh, at least per- my personal lessons Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, pay is all right. I can focus on my art at least. And then I'm also, I feel like I'm giving back. It's a bit more rewarding. I can see tangible improvement, which like a lot of shops. I mean, I worked retail. I There's no improvement in retail. There's just, you just sit there and you sell the same things, have the same spiel every time a customer walks in the door. And seeing actual improvement in your students is kind of a, a big deal. Yeah. It feels great. Yeah. Um, and you're adding value to their life in, in ways that neither one of you can know. <laughs> Anytime, yeah. you know, because I have students that, you know, I just uh, talked to a guy this morning that just finished an album that used to take lessons from me. Nice. And, that's you know, got to be super Yeah, rewarding. it was cool. It was like, wow, that's great. So... How many hours do you teach when you're doing that? Or have you figured that out yet? I haven't figured it out yet. Okay. And and is it class types lessons or is it uh, individual one-on-one? I'd be open to class lessons. I mean, first off, class lessons would be much better for me as a teacher because sure. I would get so much more money. Right. Yeah, I get paid for every student that's there. But it's not best for the students. So I don't typically do that. An idea that was pitched to me in my business and music class, however, was having tangential lessons overlap a little bit because it worked like you do like there is an amount of synergy and an amount of like togetherness and camaraderie that can happen in, in when more than one person is in a lesson at a time. Wow. But I mean, you have to figure out who's right to do that and with who and make sure that the parents are on board and there's a whole spiel with it. I mean, and that would technically be better for the teacher because you get more students within the hour and the students can grow from it as well. And you still have your alone time with the student to help them make sure that they're growing and learning their pieces or whatever. Um, but as far as I haven't implemented basically any of this yet, I'm trying, I'm trying to finish development here in the summer okay, and then start teaching in the fall. Um, but as soon as I, because I'm getting my master's right now, so that's taking up all of my time. Yeah. Uh, and this exit project, which I'm way behind on, uh, is going to destroy me within the next week or two. <laughs> um, but after I'm done focusing on this school, I can use the summer for development doing and, and trying to figure out how I'm going to juggle everything. Uh, and maybe I might need to get a job to survive, but we'll see. Um or at least a part-time something. And then as soon as fall hits, I can start advertising at a few schools and senior homes and see what I can do from there. Yeah. But I want to teach Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. My goal is to teach from 3 p.m. to about 7. Okay. So about four hours a day. That 
seems reasonable. <laughs> I do occasionally, you know, I'll have a Thursday from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. And that, that seems like wipes you out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's a job right there. It yeah. is. It's, yeah. You have no creativity at the end. Yep. And yeah, I do teach five days a week. And uh, and Saturdays and Sundays are often full as well. Mm-hmm. That's ten to five and ten to uh, noon to five. So, and and when I and when I'm when I'm talking about, I don't mean to put down jobs as much as I am. <laughs> I, I am actually very pro job. If you I have a job it. that you love, do it. Yeah, like because. Uh, well, I think you said that earlier too. Yeah, uh, but I just wanted to make clear because I've been dissing on jobs for the past what 10 minutes or so <laughs> so i want to make yeah i i if you find passion in anything i think it's important that you do it if it's your job awesome if it's an art awesome if it's a craft do your craft yeah <laughs> nice uh how important is story to music i think that that is just for musician to musician um sure i mean classical musicians have no story bach Bach, uh, BWV <laughs> 1000 has no story attached to it. You can't, I mean, you can maybe derive your own story out of it, but, uh, there it's, 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 it's non-program music. Non-program specifically means without any, it's, it's music for the idea of music. Uh, however, there's bands like, oh, what is it? Wood, is it Wooden Sleeper? I don't remember what it's called, but. There's like there's a, a song called Sinking Ship and the, the vocalist doesn't sing, he's just telling you a story the entire time or or something like that. And you know, with those it's that's the point of the music is right. to kind of the story. be behind the story. And so 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 I'll just give you the range of from it's okay. everything to it's nothing. Right. Okay. <laughs> that's that's a good range. In in my music, it's secondary, but it's there. Like Well, and I think you like it to be open to the audience's interpretation, right? Definitely. So, yeah. Um, but that's not to say that I don't like, I, I also think that their interpret interpretation is important to it. Yeah. Or, or whoever's interpretation, my inter like an interpretation is important to my music because it's not music just for the sake of music. If it was, that'd be the most boring music. Cause I'm just, if you, if you're doing chorus versus chorus, and it's just the same stuff. It's just going to be, and if, if it's just music, I should say, then you're just like, oh, it's this again. Right, right. It's I know this theme. Extended double rondo or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, and that's, like you said, it's, it is up open to the interpretation. But I think, you know, some Moonlight Sonata, for example, or like Lagrima or whatever, uh, you know, as a classical guitar piece can have a feel to it that can evoke emotion but it may may or may not have an actual story to it i mean there's also like a whole historical argument of like because as soon as any piece is given a name that isn't concerto number three right it becomes program music in a way like if you put that on your program as moonlight sonata and not sonata number what is it three or four i don't remember i'm not that great at piano music but uh, what it, whatever if you don't put it as sonata number whatever, then you're putting it in as program music as music with a theme and a kind of a story behind it. Okay. Um. And therefore, story may not be as important as like a story to like a storyteller artist. Right. But there's still a story there, and therefore maybe has slight importance to you. Okay. And a sense. lot of the time, actually, in classical music, 
when especially like in between in between sets uh was oh yeah uh also like in between sets during a classical performance you'll often hear the performer be like well when i learned this piece i was doing <laughs> here's my story with this piece da, 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 da. like that you're adding a story or an, a program to it somehow yeah which in modern classical performance is important and like we're taught that in school how to talk to the audience in some aspect. Yeah, it does give it a f- you know, it 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 gives it more importance to the audience if they can connect it to something else, I yeah. think, you know. How can music and art help people? Um have you seen an impact and do you have any examples? I think we would be hard pressed I'm not saying impossible, but we'd be hard pressed to find somebody who we would talk to who has not who has not had their mood, emotions, or way of thinking affected by an artist somehow. They may they might not consider it like that, but artists i had somebody come in uh, be being slightly tangential here but when i was practice I, I used to in my undergrad practice in the park box constantly i always like to be in public and kind of being in the background and at one point somebody came up to me and we and started talking to me in the park blocks and usually when you're like they're like oh no somebody new is coming up to me right <laughs> <laughs> what did i do um but we started talking about artists and artistry and he said something along the line. This is like six or seven years ago at this point. He said something along the lines of artists are the first people in the revolution. Or artists are the first people to change people's minds. Something to that effect. And he said it a few times. And I didn't give him much credit at the time because I was just busy trying to keep my head down and play <laughs> my music. But the more, you know, the more I thought about it, the more that I think like my agree with him a lot like there i know i would not be the same without music in any aspect but i'm a musician so i'm biased clearly but my roommate who's not a musician he's like he got a guitar recently and i've been teaching him a little bit here and there but he enjoys music as well but i mean maybe not to the extent that i do i get really involved in my entire life and i get all i can become snobby at some points but (laughs) He enjoys it. He doesn't have the vocabulary. He's getting the vocabulary for it. Um, See, but like, it clearly has affected him too. Yeah. It's affected another friend. Like, it doesn't need to be music. I've, I I met one person who astonished me because he didn't listen to music very much. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, <laughs> I think at a basic level, he and I didn't get along. Uh, <laughs> but he was very, he was very much a visual person. Yeah. We go to art galleries okay. all the time. So I, I don't think it necessarily needs to be music, but I think we would be very hard-pressed to find somebody who wasn't affected, affected by by an art somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so great importance. I don't, I don't have, like, I have some, some stories that I've heard and I've had some, like, anecdotes in my life about how music has changed my mood or changed a friend of mine's mood but i don't i I don't like anecdotes for 
for something that is important like this. Like, okay. I think that music in itself can stand on its own accord. And I think you don't need to teach somebody music to be better at math. I think you can need, you can teach somebody music so that they're good at music and have a healthy relationship with their emotions. Um, and let, cause I'm not sure it, it's exactly. Yeah. That's really good. What skills are important for everyone to learn? I'm not sure it's exactly music related, but everybody should have some sense of themselves. And I think it's important for somebody to check in on themselves at different points in their life somehow. I do it a lot because it's I'm, I'm passionate about growth in some aspect. But also it affects my art. It affects my life. But I don't think enough people check in on why they think or feel things about ways and people. I think it's just they have these these ways that they feel and they don't really question them. Um, but maybe everybody does, and we just all say this about each other, and you know it could be that too. I I don't I don't want to. I definitely know not everybody does question them and and then sometimes they go through a point where they question them and then sometimes they stop again. (laughs) And that, uh, yeah, I think that's really well put. Go ahead. And I think another skill people should get good at is asking for things that they need. Not only in like a friend sense to your friends to like, which is important to build relationships and to be honest with the people and the things that you need, but in a professional sense, uh, in order for me to go to this gig, I need gas money in order for me to, in order for me to stay at this job, I need a raise. Like it, it, it comes with like a day to day thing. Like if you are, if you can't get what you need from where you are and what you're doing, find a way around it. Yeah. But that's the th- and that again we come back to if you're lo- if you want a better job you got to find it or make it somehow yeah. you know you can't just expect somebody to hand it to you you can't expect your boss to come down and give you a job when like unless you ask for it yeah you're like you have to let them know hey I'm looking for something better uh, you need to let the book- booking managers know hey I'm looking for better gigs you need to let you need to let uh, people who are hanging your art in these galleries know that I need this much for these pieces. I mean, that's a given. I don't know much about the art world. so It's okay. Uh, it's but good... I assume that they're going to run into the same problems everybody else does. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that even goes down to the detail of like, I need more of my mic in the monitor yeah. or whatever, you know, because I've had gigs like that like yep sounds good and then you once the drums start going through the speakers you're just like i can't even hear myself i need to learn to do that on live shows too yeah i'm i <laughs> uh there's been a few gigs where I, i'm like yeah i think we can i think we can do this and then we go i'm like i can't hear any of what i'm doing right now <laughs> that's i rough. hope i'm doing this correctly yeah it's rough <laughs> but then i've already said let's do it so i don't right? want to go back on it <laughs> So I got I got I got to learn my own advice here yeah. on this subject. We all do, man. <laughs> um what are some social issues that people should care more about? Uh I would say all of them. 
I don't think it's. I mean, not you should. When no. I say that, I don't mean that you should, like, agree with me on all points. <laughs> I'm saying that you should at least care about the subject in one way or another. Yeah. I don't. I don't think apathy is responsible, or I think it's negligent. And I, I don't like it when I run into it. Yeah. Um, I run into it a lot, though. And again, I'm not saying you have to agree with everything I say, but to not even know the issues, I think, can be disheartening to those who it affects. Yeah. And I think if you're willingly ignorant about these things, uh, you're in, unintentionally hurting people in some aspect. Yeah, I agree. I think that it gets challenging because they're it's overwhelming. Like it can, how it can much? Be very overwhelming. Yeah, but there's there. Uh, I don't want to get super political on this interview, but a friend of mine who's, uh, I mean, most of my like. I'd be hard-pressed to find anybody in Portland who would say that they agree with Trump in my friend group. Um, but there was one friend of mine who got kind of overwhelmed by everything. Yeah. Uh, and she was just like, how can I keep up this fight? I'm already tired, and it's been like week two. This was early. Yeah. And I was like, well, you have a lot of fighting to do. And you, but you don't have to fight every day. <laughs> it's a break, good point. Fight when break. it's important to fight, and then take care of yourself. Choose in your battles. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't have to like. You don't have to like fight your grandfather every time he every single time he says something racist. If he, if that's the type of person he is, mm-hmm. you just have to when it's important, just say your piece, and then. And then you can let him do whatever he's going to do on his own time. Yeah. I think that's a good strategy. Um, is there a way that we as artists can work together, help one another, and maintain our own creativity and vision for our journey? I'm sure there is. Um, I haven't thought of it that way very much. I'm sure there is, but I'm... I think in a way you're doing it with your group. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it's not reliant on other artists per se. It's reliant on the community around in which I'm trying to develop and cultivate. Uh, And I think as long as artists find their support system somehow, I'm not talking monetarily, although that helps. (laughs) If you're able to find a patron, do it. But... (laughs) Uh, I think those days have been long gone for a long time. Um, I'm talking more about emotionally people who support you, uh, will help you with advice, feedback, hell, even rides to gigs if you need it or anything like that. Uh, people who believe in you and not use it as a one way road. Like you have to be in touch and mend your relationships with all of them as well, which is something I've had to learn. I don't, 
I have a, I have, I think I have, a, I, I have a very large community, but I don't, I mean, it, it'd be impossible to talk to them all every day. Right. But I know the right people for me and how we get along. We don't have to talk to each other every week or every month even. <laughs> yeah. I can pick up with quite a few of my friends, my extended further friends, wherever we just left off. Sometimes, yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's funny how that works. Yeah. And Sometimes I, it's years. I think it's, I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And necessary. And sometimes <laughs> those relationships are stronger and deeper than we realize. Yeah. You know, those friendships. Uh, as, I mean, as long as you allow them to be. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Where can people find you online and how can they support your music in a cool way? Like, uh, uh, finding me online is fairly easy. You just type in the Jack Maybe Project. I will come up on Instagram. I'll come up on Facebook. I'm pretty sure my personal page would come up. Um, my personal page is jackmaybeproject.com. If you look up the Jack Maybe Project, you'll find Instagram and you'll find uh, Facebook pretty easily. If, you, if you're on a phone, it would be in looking up the Instagram, it would be the underscore Jack underscore maybe underscore project. <laughs> so that, that could be maybe a little tedious, but... Uh, Facebook is, I, I think, where we're the most active. Okay. Um, I update my shows on my on my personal site, so if you want to see if we're in your area, that'll be a good way to do it. Uh, supporting us, that is a good question that I think people should look into more because uh, you can support artists in a multitude of ways, and it doesn't always take money. Um, you can support us by listening to us on a streaming service. If you want to spend money, let's start with that. Buying an album, easy. Um, that's really the only merch. Oh, uh, yeah, buying a shirt, going to our shows. Yep. Um, those are those are the ways to do it. Um, giving and going to the shows, and if you know there's nothing at the door, putting something in the tip jar. Yeah. Um, do you have a Patreon or anything like that at this point? Not yet. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if I will. Okay. Uh, I might, but. I haven't needed it yet. If I, if anything, I'm, I'll probably do kind of an Indiegogo thing, a project-based yeah. something, more than just kind of a, a passive income. Because okay. I do think in art that you should, if you're not working, you shouldn't probably have a passive income. But if you are working on something and have stuff for people, services, like you should be paid for those very like, very well. Um, but it's hard for me to justify at least myself to get a Patreon when I'm not, when I, when I, when I'm giving you nothing, it's hard for me. And I know a lot of artists who struggle with this as well. Well, I think sometimes people find more value in an artist than the artist realizes. And I'm I'm sure that's true. So if your album's 15 or 20 bucks and they want to give you more for it, Mm -hmm. um, it's robbing them of the ability to give you more. I mean, if you go in on, a way, if you go to Bandcamp, you can. There is, I mean, you can pay for our album whatever price you want beyond the ten dollars that I'm requesting. That's cool. Um, and in person, that's the same way. Um, so if you want to support us, just buy our album at yeah, at much higher price. Do it. We would be super into that. <laughs> uh, but you know, not everybody, and especially, I feel like especially people who need art aren't always in the best financial situations. That's a lot of true. 
<laughs> um, so if you want to still support us and you don't have the money to donate, um, sharing us and not just like a share on like Facebook, but like showing us to your friend or not. And I'm like, I'm going to move on past just us. Any artist that you, that isn't like under a huge label or something. Right. If you show them to your friend the same way you would any other, any other big artist, uh, that is a huge help. That's, that's, that's like the two cents we didn't have to pay on the advertising for that Facebook ad or whatever. And that did, that they didn't even look at and pass through. Right. Um, have it like showing, showing like reposting stuff on our Facebook page also helps us a great deal. Reposting, commenting, any sort of interaction online helps a great deal with any artist. Um, but, being the cultivator of culture to your group of friends is probably the best way to support any artist. The cultivator of culture, <laughs> man, that is a phrase I haven't heard. <laughs> Did you just coin that or is that I, a, I guess I don't know. Nice. Don't know. That's brilliant. <laughs> well done. I'm sure somebody said it like those, those aren't, those words aren't, aren't that far apart. I feel. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. Are there any questions I should have asked you that I did not? I'm I'm pretty bad at the uh, at this type of thing, so probably I mean there's probably something, but not, I think you've covered most of the good stuff, so okay, I think it's good. I sure appreciate your time and thank you, and definitely great success to your music career and thank your you. art, and thank you for being such an important part of uh, the Portland and Northwest you know music scene. So. Of course, thanks for having yeah, me. Cool. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, Trent. Thank you. Find out more at artmedianorthwest.com, A-R-T-M-E-D-I-A-N-W.com. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our next episode. Mm-hmm.